Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn in them or turn them on to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 will be our passage this morning as we continue to define and explain what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've been in this sermon series for a while. For those visiting with us this morning, so far we've already seen that a disciple is a follower, a learner, a doer, a repenter. They're devoted, kind of weird, a lover, a server. And so this week we find ourselves here in Ephesians 4, seeing that a disciple is a builder. Now I already know that some of you like to build and are actually good at building things. The rest of us think we can build, but really should only be given a set of Legos rather than hammers and nails to build. Uh, I'm one of those persons. I would not classify myself as a handyman. Um, I would classify myself rather as a YouTube handyman. Anybody else in that group? Like when your wife, when you, you have this strange urge to build something, you go to YouTube right away and you say, okay, how can I, how can I build this? If that's what I do. Usually... That helps. Sometimes it doesn't. It actually turns into a worse situation. Um, But most of the time it turns out better than if I were just to go at it cold turkey with hammer and nails. Um, But I'm not a builder like Adam Redberg and Earl Redberg. I'm not a builder like some of you. You give me a set of Legos and Picasso tiles. Anybody know what those Picasso tiles are? Like these sweet magnetic things that kids play with. Uh, They keep your kids... Busy from like maybe three minutes at first, but then they should for a long time, though you know how kids are. You give me those, and I can build, according to my kids, a skyscraper. Uh, I'm pretty sweet uh, with Legos and Picasso tiles. Uh, I'm an incredible builder if you don't know what, and they're not here this morning, Marissa and Mitchell Tannis do with Legos. Uh, They do some amazing things with Legos, so then I'm just an amateur. Most of us, though, we... We probably would not classify ourselves as builders. Uh, you wouldn't go around and when some, you're introducing yourself to someone and they ask what you do, you say, oh, I'm, I'm a builder. Most of us aren't that good with building things. But here in Ephesians 4, as the, the Apostle Paul continues to outline God's plan for the church, he highlights two responsibilities of every believer. Maintain unity and build. Build up the body of Christ. And in highlighting these responsibilities here in verses 11 through 16, he shows us that one of the fundamental attributes of a disciple is being a builder. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to Paul as he writes here to the church in Ephesus, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up, the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Let's thank God for his word before we continue this morning. Father, we're thankful for your word where you still speak to us. That though this is thousands of years removed from us, and we read this and we we don't know all the details of everything that's happening with this church in Ephesus. We know some. We don't know all of them. We do know things that are going on in our own life, and we go know things that are going in on, on in our own church. And so we know through your word you would speak into these areas of our life. So we ask this morning that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see you as more beautiful, to see us as who you have made us to be as your followers, as your disciples, as builders, and God, that you would stir our affections for you, stir our affections for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we truly would be a church that is gospel-centered, community of disciples on mission here in Sun Prairie, that we would see the need around us, both in our brothers and sisters sitting right next to us this morning, and then those all around in our city, uh, and that you would help us build up others for your glory and your name. Amen. Well, having just called the church here in Ephesus to walk in humility, to walk in gentleness, patience, and love with one another as they seek to maintain unity, and it's a unity through the diversity that's here in this church, and to do so by the strength and gifting of our victorious Christ, Paul now explains how unity is actually kept in the church and how the church, with all of its glorious diversity, functions in a healthy way. So he explains here in these verses that the church is most unified, and the church is most healthy when true disciples build up one another in love. So that's the big idea this morning. True disciples build up one another in love. The problem, though, is that as Paul moves into the rest of this book, and especially into chapter 6, he notices that there is a battle raging. If you look at the end of chapter 6, you see the armor of God that most of us are acquainted with. We've heard that in Sunday school and in church throughout the years. Why the, the armor of God? Well, because there's a battle raging against unity, against health in the church. And it's not a battle against flesh and blood, Paul tells us, but a battle against the spiritual forces of evil and the cosmic powers of darkness. You see, just like those 19 terrorists who secretly crept into those four jetliners on the morning of 9-11, so too the menacing forces of evil stealthily lie in wait for the right moment to attack the unity of the church and spread the disease of dissension. But sadly, most believers are totally oblivious to the war that's taking place all around them. This, is, this fact only further fuels the craftiness of the cosmic powers of darkness. You see, when the evil forces and powers of darkness can silently creep into the church, dressed in faint shades of apathy and consumerism, indifference, they can be overlooked. They can be left undealt with for year after year after year. And so no one actually notices when Apathy starts whispering into your ear that someone else will take care of it. Or consumerism starts telling you the lie that you deserve better and you deserve more. See, therein lies the slow decline and impending death of far too many churches. 
But Paul tells us here that the church filled with builders is a church prepared and alert for the attacks of the devil. It's a church that understands it has a need, and its need is for one another. That the life of following Christ is not a life lived in isolation, but a life lived in community, a community that looks out for one another, that pushes each other toward Christ, while also pulling each other away from sin. And so here in these six verses, Paul explains both to the church in Ephesus and then to us this morning, four details that must be present for preserving unity and health in the church. And in doing so, shows us what and who we are as disciples, as builders. First of all, we see disciples who are gifted for building. Then we'll see disciples who understand that there's a, a goal in building. Disciples who know how to guard and disciples whose focus is on growth. And with these details that Paul shows us, this is how the body works properly, he says in the end of this passage. It's how it grows into Christ. So we begin in verses 11 and 12, where Paul explains the first detail that must be present in the life of the church, and that is disciples who are gifted for building. Having just explained in verse 7, look back up there, that there's been grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, one might expect to read in the next verse a list of those gifts, like we see in Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. But here, Paul opts to only list five of the gifts to the church. He writes in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. As you can see, what is perhaps most interesting about these grace gifts is that they serve as leadership roles within the church. Peter points out in 1 Peter 4 that these are the gifts that have speaking gifts to serve the church. It's those with these gifts that primarily use the word to strengthen and serve the church. Now, of course, we could go into depth at this point into the function the meaning of each of these gifts and these roles within the church, who they are given to, something we might do another time. But for time's sake this morning, I want to draw your attention to primarily why he lists these things. Why does he list these five gifts? Well, he lists them because they are the leadership within the church, and the leadership has a specific role for the church. Now, don't hear me blowing my own horn this morning. It's not drawing attention to my role as a pastor, but rather I want you to notice why the gifts of leadership are given to the church. So why in the world would there be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Why would God give that to the church? Well, Klein Snodgrass, which is an awesome name, uh, in his commentary on the book of Ephesians says this, this text does not set up a hierarchy of clergy or even a hierarchy of laity. Rather, it speaks of people given to the church to assist its service and edification. The idea is not of gifts given to a special group of people, but grace giving people to the church. In other words, what Paul is highlighting here is that within the body of Christ, each member has distinct service to render for the effective functioning of the whole. And the ability to perform this service is only due to one thing. Not to that person, but to the grace given by the ascended Christ to the church. 
And so leadership is a gift of grace to the church so that it can effectively function as it was created to. And so then Paul continues in his thought in verse 12. He writes, to, so here's why you have, we have these leadership roles, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, any leadership within the church has been given for one primary reason, to equip the church for ministry. And what is that ministry? Well, it's simply being builders. Paul tells us that this ministry is building up the body of Christ. God so desires his church, his body, to be built up and strengthened by his word that he gives gifts of leadership so that they can equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so while he affirms the need for leadership, notice that Paul is also showing the church in Ephesus that the full responsibility for their growth in Christ is not just on the shoulders of the leaders. Rather, each member is responsible for other members. So the bottom line is that Paul, along with many of the other New Testament authors, show us that because God has bestowed grace upon us, we can, in turn, gift that grace to others through serving and building into them. That happens as leaders equip the church, but it also happens when each one of us understands our role as a builder. When we look to build up one another, we are actually agents of God's grace that he's gifted to us to someone else. And so if you're a disciple of Christ, you have been given a ministry. It's not one that you have to go to four years of Bible college for, nor do you have to wait until you are, quote-unquote, more mature as a disciple. No, God has gifted you as a disciple with the ministry of building, building up your brothers and sisters into Christ. Male, female, we are all to be builders. And so let me ask you at the beginning, are you doing that work? Are you doing your ministry? Are you building? In order for our church to grow in unity and in health, disciples who are gifted, which Paul has just told us is every single one of us, must do the work of ministry. We must build. Well, this leads us to the second detail then that Paul gives us as we continue on. Notice that this is just one long run-on sentence. Uh, His grammar is not correct here. Uh, Paul would get corrected in school. It just continues on into verse 13, until... We all attain to the unity of the faith. You see, in order to build something, you have to know what you're building, right? You have to know what you are going to build. That's why the box with the picture on the front is so important for the successful building of that new IKEA desk that you just bought. Uh, Yes, of course, the instruction manual is important. At least that's what you ladies tell us men. Uh, that you got to look at the instructions. All we need is the box with the picture. we got to know what it looks like for us to build. Without that final picture, these chunks of wood would end up looking like a rocking horse or a chair or something like that. Uh, we would come up with something creative if we didn't have that picture. But you have to have that picture. You have to know what you're building. Well, as Paul continues here in verse 13, he explains explains this is what you're building up. 
This is what you're building. The goal is until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all attain mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so you see, the building doesn't stop. Our ministry doesn't stop until everyone knows and looks like Christ. This is our responsibility as builders. As a disciple of Christ, you and I have been invested with the responsibility of pushing our fellow disciples towards maturity in Christ. One commentator notes, Paul has in mind a progressive movement among all believers toward the full experience, appropriation, and application of the objective doctrinal content of the Christian faith, or in other words, of knowing the gospel, loving the gospel, and living out the gospel. Knowing who Christ is and what he has done for us, loving that truth and living it out in our life. And so we build up one another to increase our knowledge and our enjoyment of the unfathomable riches of Christ. This is how unity, this is how health is preserved and produced in our church. We build up one another to increase our maturity and the reflection of his attributes. We build up into one another his holiness, his compassion, his long-suffering, his peace, his joy, his gentleness, his love. We could keep going on and on. This is how unity is preserved and how health is produced within the church. In fact, these three phrases here in verse 13 provide a rather practical aim for each and every one of us to carry concerning our brothers and sisters. So we can ask and we can remind ourselves this. Is my goal as a disciple of Jesus, as a builder, that, we could fill in the blank, that Paul, that Mike, that Chris intimately knows Christ, and that it might be said of Michelle and Steve and Raquel that he, she is mature and has attained the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. Again, this is all of our ministry, not just the leadership of the church. This is yours and mine. As disciples, we are to build up one another into Christ. In order for our church to grow in unity and health, disciples who understand the goal in building must be building up others. We must build up one another's one another so that you and I know, love, and live like Jesus. So Paul has shown us that we're first of all gifted for this. He then gives us the goal of what we're shooting for. And then now in verse 14, he explains the third detail. Disciples who know how to guard while building. If you've ever tried to build something when toddlers are around, you know how important guarding is when building something. Uh, when I set out to build the awesome Picasso skyscraper, Picasso tile, or the Lego skyscraper, for sure at some point, either Haddon or Kayla will come with some object to try to destroy my masterpiece. And so as I'm building, I'm on guard. If you've built that Ikea desk, you know how important guarding is. Uh, because the kids like to play with all of those little parts. And then they're all mixed up. And then it doesn't matter if you have the instruction manual or not. 
uh, you know how important it is to guard. Whatever you're building has to be guarded from their attack. And the moment you let your guard down, so comes down the tower of clothes that you've just nicely folded as they come in and wreck that. And then that game begins. You put it back up, they tear it back down. We know how important guarding is, but to a far greater and more serious degree, Paul tells us the attacks of Satan are coming. They're coming toward the one who is building up another disciple. And he writes in verse 14, so that, so here's why this goal that we're pushing forward toward is so important, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. The picture Paul is painting here is not mild and tame. It's not fun game that the children are playing with knocking something down. No, this picture that he paints here is meant to rattle us. So it's vivid and harsh because Satan's attacks are jarring. But as I mentioned earlier, the sad reality is most believers are completely oblivious to how vulnerable they are to the attacks of Satan, especially when they are not invested in the life of the church. You see, the truth of the matter is without other believers building you up, You are like a child, Paul tells us, who is happily wading out into the water without a care in the world, but unknowingly wanders too far and in an instant becomes swept away in a riptide and violently sweeps the child under the water and tosses him back and forth against the waves and the rocks of the ocean. In that scenario, the ocean shows no mercy, and Paul knows that our enemy shows no mercy as well. But the underlying tragedy of such a scene may be one of two scenarios. The first being that while the child is wading out into the water, his parents, his family and friends have their backs turned to the little one. And so they never see the danger that he is in. No one had taken upon themselves to guard this little child from the impending dangers of the waves. The church, that's filled with apathetic consumers who fail to guard and build up one another, suffers the same fate as member after member slowly wades away into the waters, into the waves and winds of doctrine, human cunning, and deceitful schemes. The second scenario, however, is that the child's parents and family were on guard and had been calling him back. Yet the child did not listen. Sadly, the father was only inches away from grabbing and rescuing him when the child suddenly disappears under the waves. In that scenario, the child failed to listen to the words of caution and pleas to turn back. The truth had been spoken, and it's been spoken in love, yet it fell on deaf ears. And so too is the fate of the believer who fails to hear the truth being spoken in love by those who he or she has been gifted with, those whom God has placed in their lives as builders. And so here we see that guarding is essential, is important aspect of our life as a church, as who we are as builders. We look out for one another, pulling each other away from the winds of doctrine and human cunning the craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're on the lookout. We're on the guard for someone who might start wading into those waters and be swept away and tossed to 
and fro. So not only do we know the goal, but we know that it's important to guard those who are who are helping towards that goal. And then Paul, in his final detail, in verses 15 through 16, he gives us what our focus then is on. So why shoot for this goal? Why guard while we build into others? Well, he shows us it's, it's because there's growth that needs to happen. Again, he, he emphasizes this fact that we're growing in every way into Christ. So look down at verse 15 again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And he does so in a, in a contrast, knowing that those who are going to sweep away other members by winds of doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness, and deceitful schemes by their words and by their teaching. He says, rather than speaking false truth, you speak the truth in love. That's how we grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that, again, it builds itself up in love. Here's the flip side of guarding. It's speaking. If in verse 14 we accurately view our role as a builder of being one of pulling one another from sin and the torrents of false teaching, here Paul explains that as a builder we're speaking the truth to counteract that false teaching. And in doing so, we're pushing one another toward growth in Christ's likeness. You see, the church that understands its role as a builder is to push each other towards Christ, understands that we need each other to grow into Christ. That we aren't just left with the word and our own selves in a quiet room. No, we need one another. You and I don't always accurately see the dangers lurking around us. And so we need that loving correction and rebuke of a brother or sister in Christ who speaks the truth and points out the incoming wave that is about to sweep us under. We need the brother or sister in Christ who speaks the truth in love and redirects our gaze from the attractions of this world to the all-surpassing beauty of Jesus. We need one another. We need other builders. And we need other builders who are working properly. At the end of verse 16, Paul again highlights this ministry and responsibility we have as disciples of building. And in doing so, notice what he is actually drawing our attention to once again. He's drawing our attention back to the grace that he started with in verse 7. So how are we builders? How are we building one another into Christ? How do we work properly as the church so that the body grows? And we are built up in love. Well, it's because of the grace that's given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The truth is, it's only by the grace of God that we are builders. It's only by his grace, and it's only on his grace that we can build. Paul says it like this to the church in Corinth. Actually, turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice how Paul says this to the church in Corinth, which is a messed up church that needs a lot of builders to build one another into Christ. He says in verse 
10, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, there's no other foundation that can last. All other foundations crumble and deteriorate. Only Jesus remains. And so as followers, as learners from Jesus, as his disciples, we begin to understand more fully that he is the only one to whom we can bring others to and who we can build them up into. And so Paul tells us both here in 1 Corinthians and then back in Ephesians 4 that our ministry is making disciples. It's building others into Christ. Showing them what it looks like to follow, learn, do, repent, worship, love, serve. This is our ministry. We do that until they know, love, and live like Jesus. So again, let me ask, are you a builder? Are you building others into Christ? Paul has made it clear that in order for the church to maintain any unity, for it to maintain any signs of health, we as Christ's disciples must be builders. Builders who are gifted, and he's gifted us by his grace, who understand the goal, who know how to guard, and who focus on, their, on others' growth into Christ's likeness. For when we as builders work properly, the church surely will grow. We have that promise from God that he will grow and build his church as we do the work of ministry. And so in closing, let me encourage you to apply this passage in three specific ways. First of all, know what your gifting in ministry is. Ask God to reveal how you are gifted and ask for his help to build up others. Not every single one of us is a teacher. Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians 12. He says some people have the gift of helps. Some people have the gift of mercy. Some have gifts of discernment. But all of those gifts are used to build up. So he says in 1 Corinthians 14, seek to excel in building up the church. So what are my giftings? How might I be used to build up one another? And then ask for others' help to better be equipped for that ministry, for that building up of others. Know what your gift is and know that you have a ministry in this church. Speak the truth in love. So not only know your gift, but speak the truth in love. Ask yourself, how can I push so-and-so toward Christ? In this moment, as we're talking, as we just said, let's meet for coffee, let's grab lunch together, how can I give this person grace? Again, in Ephesians 4, 29, uh, Paul says that we, are can, we can give grace. Listen to what it says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for what? For building, building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So how in this moment can I speak the truth in love? How can I give them grace? How can I push them towards Christ? Or how can I pull them away from the enemy? How can I lovingly correct my brother or sister? 
while also giving them grace. So not only know your gift in ministry, speak the truth, be ready to speak the truth, but then just go about building. You've been equipped, you have the tools, you have the supplies, so seek to excel in building up one another. Take the initiative and invest in someone else. Build into others. Well, throughout the years, there have been some major fails in the practice of architecture. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. I always thought it was pizza. It's just pizza. The Aeon Center in Chicago. John Hancock Tower in Boston. The Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington. The Lotus Riverside Apartment Complex in Shanghai, to name just a few. Each of these building blunders have cost millions of dollars to correct, millions of dollars to stabilize, or just totally rebuild. Some of those have been total losses that have even even resulted in the loss of life at their collapse. But with each of those fails, lessons were learned so the same mistakes wouldn't happen again. The truth is, as we go about our ministry of building up one another, that might also result in some epic fails. Hard lessons that we have to learn. However, the end result is most certainly worth any risk in speaking the truth in love, any effort that we give towards building up one another. For when true disciples build up one another in love, the church is unified and healthy. It's unified and healthy to the praise of Christ's glorious grace. Are you a builder? And Father, this morning, I pray that you have stirred our hearts with that question and with this passage. Are we builders? Are we doing the work of ministry? Are we looking for somewhere else to do the work? Wanting a different position? Or are we just acknowledging that you've gifted us by your grace with what and who we are in our experiences, in our training, in just your sheer spirit working in our lives to gift us with this opportunity, this ministry of building up one another. And so may we be builders. May you make us a church full of disciples who build up one another, disciples who make other disciples. And as we do that, may we point them toward you, that you are our focus, and that we're leading them, we're pushing them toward knowing loving and living like you. So God, work in our hearts. Stir us where needed. Encourage us where we are already doing this work. And may we, through the hearing of your word, not walk away like the individual in James 1, forgetting what manner of man we are, but may we be not only hearers, but doers of your word. In your name, amen.